0: You're listening to the Good News in the Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. Now you might know that uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus gives a series of contrasts. He contrasts the way that the rabbis understand, interpret, and apply the law of God. And then he gives his own perfect, infallible interpretation of the moral law of God. There are six of these contrasts in Matthew chapter 5. So far we've looked at four of them. We've looked at uh, murder, adultery, divorce, and last Sunday, oaths. And, And this morning we come to the fifth one, which has to do with retaliation. So Matthew 5, beginning at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Is there another passage in the Bible that clashes more with our natural tendency? I mean, what is your natural tendency when someone wrongs you? It's to get even, right? It's to uh, settle the score. It's to get back at them. What's your natural reaction when someone cuts you off on the freeway? What's your natural reaction when someone says something hurtful about you? Our natural reaction often is to get even. And and let's face it, people are, are drawn to movies and TV shows with this kind of theme. Vigilante justice, Charles Bronson, for those of us who are older, Bruce Willis, Liam Neeson, hunting down the bad guys and giving them what they deserve. Deep down in the human heart is this desire for personal vengeance this desire for retaliation. Take nothing from nobody. And what Jesus says here in this passage and in the next passage as well goes completely against the grain of the way that you and I tend to think. Very few passages are as challenging as this one. We're going to look at this passage this morning under the same two basic headings as we've been looking at these other contrasts. We're going to look, first of all, at the rabbi's teaching on retaliation, and then we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on retaliation. Jesus begins by, by stating the traditional Old Testament understanding. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Most of us, that's a very familiar phrase to us. It's a teaching that's found in the Old Testament, specifically in three places. It's in Exodus 21, it's in Leviticus 24, and it's in Deuteronomy 19. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is known in Latin as lex talionis, the law of retaliation. Now, now this might seem rather cruel to us and rather barbaric. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We we might conjure up images in our minds of of vigilantes roaming the lands, gouging out eyes, pulling out teeth. But when you think about it, lex talionis is actually a good and wise principle, primarily because it, it keeps people from pursuing excessive retribution you might remember in the in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4 there's a man by the name of Lamech and Lamech in Genesis 4 makes this boast he says I have killed a young man for wounding me a young man for striking me if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77fold. In other words, Lamech was saying, if you injure me, I'm going to kill you. If, if you harm me, I'm going to get you back ten times worse than what you did to me. Lex talionis, the law of retaliation, sought to rein in that kind of thinking. Lex Talionis said the punishment must fit the crime, and the Mosaic law was very clear about this. For example, if if you stole your neighbor's donkey, you would have to pay back two donkeys, one that you stole and one of your own. That was considered to be fair and just. If you punched your neighbor in the face and broke his nose, your nose would be broken. If you killed your neighbor, your life would also be taken. And again, this this principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was was designed to keep people from retaliating in some excessive fashion, which was very common in that day. Instead of saying, okay, you, you knocked out my tooth, I'm gonna knock out 10 of your teeth. Lex Talionis said no, one tooth, For one tooth, that's it. Now, what was so wrong with with the rabbi's interpretation of this? Why does Jesus come along and, and in a sense, have to correct their understanding of lex talionis? Well, here's what the rabbis were doing. They took this law, a, a law that was meant for use by the civil government, and they applied it to individual people. In other words, the the rabbis taught that it was legitimate, even obligatory, that that you go out and personally avenge any wrong that's been done to you. You see, in the Old Testament, if, if some guy knocked out your tooth, you would go to the court in Israel and you would say, this guy knocked out my tooth. And on the basis of two or three witnesses, a, a decision, a verdict would be rendered, and the punishment would fit the crime. You didn't break into the guy's house when he was sleeping and hit him across the face and knock out his tooth to get even with him. But, but the rabbis were essentially saying, the law of Moses allows you to go out and get personal vengeance, personal retaliation. And, and so by all means, the rabbis were saying, Go out, go ahead, and get even. Now, is that what the Old Testament teaches? Would the Bible instruct us to to go out and get even with all those who have wronged us? Well, listen to what the Old Testament says. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Proverbs 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. Proverbs 24, verse 29, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. The Bible says don't do that. The Bible says it's a sin to retaliate against someone else. The Bible says it's it's wrong for us to try to get revenge. The, the Bible says it's wrong, sinful, to hold a grudge. The Bible says it's wrong to, to say, I'm going to get even with you for what you've done to me. The rabbis had conveniently forgotten those passages. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, we, we have no right to seek personal revenge. We we have no right to take the law into our own hands and say, you wronged me, I'm gonna get even with you. Instead, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. And that's what we see here as we see the second part of this passage, and that is Jesus' teaching on retaliation. Now notice, if you have your Bible open still, notice the first thing Jesus says in verse 39. He says, do not resist the one who is evil. Now if you were just to cut that phrase from your Bible, copy and paste, and stick it on a piece of paper, if you were to take that phrase in its simplicity with no context, by itself, Jesus seems to be promoting total non-resistance under any and every circumstance. Don't resist an evil person. Maybe you've heard the name Leo Tolstoy before. Leo Tolstoy was a famous Russian novelist. And and Leo Tolstoy believed that this is exactly what Jesus was teaching. Tolstoy argued that that no Christian should serve in the military or in law enforcement. That, That Christians should never, ever seek to resist evil in any way. In a sense, go ahead and defund the police, right? It's kind of Tolstoy's idea. Now, there's a major problem with that view. There's a major problem with what Tolstoy was teaching. And that is that what Tolstoy said was in major contradiction from other passages in the Bible. For example, Romans chapter 13 says that the civil government has been given the task and the power to punish evildoers. Listen to Romans 13 verse 4. Paul says if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, the government, does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 1 Peter 2:14 says that the civil government has been sent by God to punish those who do evil. And and so Scripture is clear that the civil authorities have been given a task, a task to punish people who break the law. Of course, the problem in our day is that the civil authorities seem to be doing a pretty lousy job of that. And on top of that, maybe because of that, you have immense disrespect that is shown for law enforcement today. But then what does Jesus mean when he says, don't resist the one who is evil? If if he's not arguing for for total non-aggression and non-resistance, what is he saying? Well, two things Jesus is saying here in this verse. First of all, what he says here, he says to his people, not to governments. Jesus is not talking here about a nation's civil laws. He's not saying that, you know, the government, you need to let murderers go free. Don't punish rapists. Don't punish people who break the law. Just let them go. Instead, Jesus is talking here about our personal relationships. Our relationships between one another. And secondly, it's also important to read this statement, don't resist the one who is evil in its context. This is why we don't lift verses out of their context. Because when we read this verse in its context, we then see that Jesus goes on and in four statements he explains what he means. And this is important for each one of us to hear this morning. First of all, the first statement that explains don't resist the one who is evil is found in verse 39 when he says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I want you to imagine that you're standing up here on the platform with me. And you wanna slap me on the right cheek. Most of us are right handed, right? And so if you're standing up here and you are facing me and you wanna slap me on the right cheek with your dominant hand, which again for most of us is our right hand, what are you gonna have to do? You're going to have to take your hand and you're going to have to backhand me across the right cheek. If you used your hand, your palm to slap me, you would slap my left cheek. You would have to backhanded slap me to slap me on my right cheek. The rabbinic law said this. To hit someone with the back of your hand was twice as insulting As hitting someone with the palm of your hand. A backhanded slap was essentially saying to the other person, I despise you. I can't stand you. You are nothing to me. This was an expression of utter contempt for another person to slap them backhandedly. And and so when Jesus speaks here, it's not so much the physical attack that he's talking about. What he's talking about here is the fact that you are being insulted by someone else. And, And the context of this passage would lead us to believe that specifically, Jesus is talking about being insulted for being a believer. Christian, you will be mocked for your faith. You will be insulted for your faith. Children and and young people, you can expect that as you grow up, people will make fun of you for being a Christian. Before I was a pastor, when I, I worked in the business world, I would often have people say to me, why do you waste Sundays going to church? And, and other people would be actually much more hostile to me about being a Christian. We're going to be insulted. We're going to be mocked. We're going to be laughed at and, and scorned. And, and the question that we need to settle in our minds as Christians is how will we respond to them? How will you respond to the person who laughs at you who makes fun of you, or maybe even worse, in some way persecutes you for being a follower of Jesus Christ? Should we retaliate against them? If someone makes fun of you for for being a Christian, should you find something out to make fun of them for? If, If someone says to you, you know, you're such a moron for being a Christian, do we say, well, you're the moron? How do we respond? to those who insult us. Jesus tells us, look at the middle of verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone insults you for your faith, don't get even. What should characterize you and me as followers of Christ is not a retaliatory spirit. It's not a vindictive spirit. Those things should not characterize or mark the believer in Christ. Instead, for the sake of the gospel, we must be willing to be mocked and to be scorned by the world. Now let's face it, we have been given throughout our lifetimes a great deal of freedom. We are still blessed to be able to gather in a place like this and worship the Lord on Sundays. But who knows what five years from now will bring? Who knows what 20 years from now will bring? Who knows what 50 years from now will bring? How do we respond to those who insult us? Rather than, than trying to get back at them, rather than returning evil for evil, we are to respond with love. Now that's hard to do but we are to respond with love. We are to respond with a concern and a care for their eternal soul. You remember Stephen in the book of Acts? Stephen was a man who, he had a great concern for lost people. In Acts chapter seven, he's he's preaching the gospel, he's he's going through the, the flow of redemptive history and he's showing how all of it culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and the crowd of people to whom he's preaching don't like what he's saying. They don't want to hear it. At a certain point, the, the passage tells us that they, they become enraged at him and they grind their teeth at him. They're so angry. And children, do you remember what they do to Stephen? They, they rush him. They take him outside the city and and they start stoning him. And as he's being stoned, just as he's about to die, he falls to the ground. And do you remember what Stephen says? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And in doing this, Jesus or, or Stephen was emulating the pattern of Jesus. Jesus hanging on the cross. And what does Jesus cry from the cross? Father, give them what they deserve. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, there's no question that the message of Christianity is foolishness to the world. As Christians, we're never gonna be popular. We're never gonna be part of the in crowd in a worldly way. The message of Christianity is foolishness, the Bible says. Those of us who came to Christ later in life, at some point in our lives, it was foolishness to us. And we can expect the world to mock us, to insult us, for loving Jesus and following the Bible. We can expect that. But how will we respond to them Will we respond to them with anger and rage? Will we respond to them with with some kind of angry post on social media hoping that they get what they deserve? Good thing we don't get what we deserve. Or will we respond with love? Will we respond with a desire that they know Jesus? Jesus goes on, He gives a second illustration, verse 40. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now now let's face it. We have, most of us, a lot of clothes. We have clothes for all four seasons. We have formal wear. We have casual wear. We have everything in between. We have multiple pairs of shoes. But, you know, in that day, the the average person had essentially the shoes on their feet and and maybe two or three more outfits, and that was it. And and normally you would wear what was an inner garment, that was known as your tunic, and you would wear an outer garment, which was known as your cloak. That pretty much made up your outfit. The inner garment and the outer garment. The picture that Jesus is painting for us here is that someone has sued you. They've taken you to court, they've sued you, and you've been found guilty. And the only means you have to pay them back is the clothes on your back. Did you know that in that day, the court might award the other person your clothing? You would have to give them your tunic. You'd have to give them your inner garment. But, but Jesus says, when the court awards this other person your inner garment, give them your outer garment also. Now a good Jew would have immediately objected to this. Because the book of Exodus clearly states that an outer garment can only be given as a pledge. In other words, can only be given to a person for a temporary period of time and they would have to return your outer garment to you before nightfall because you use that to keep warm in. It was essentially your blanket at night. Israel gets very cold at night and so you would need your outer garment to keep warm. And so you can imagine the crowd that day saying, Jesus, how can you say this? Why are you telling me, go ahead and give them not only your inner garment, but also your outer garment? Is is Jesus saying, you know, if people want to take your stuff, just keep giving it to them and giving it to them until you have nothing left? Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's doing here is he's making an exaggerated statement to essentially say, don't be so quick to always demand your rights. Don't spend all your time and all your energy trying to avenge something that seems to be an affront to you. Don't be characterized by a bitter spirit. We shouldn't be known as those who think that everything is a personal attack against us. Instead, love ought to characterize us. Not not a desire to get, you know, our pound of flesh. But a heart of compassion. A magnanimous giving spirit. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, How do we respond to the evil of this world? One author writes this, he says what Jesus is saying here is essentially stop fighting for your honor, turn the other cheek, let others defraud you, and let God defend you. Let God defend you. Jesus' third illustration is found in verse 41. He says if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now what's that all about? In that day, there was a law. The Romans loved to have laws and they had a law that that said basically a a Roman soldier could walk up to you and he could ask you to carry his pack or anything else for one mile and you had to do it. Didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter uh, what the circumstances were. Didn't matter how busy you were. You couldn't say, well, I I got ice cream in the car and I'm on my way home and I, I gotta put this in the freezer. Didn't matter what you were doing. If a Roman soldier came up to you and said, hey, carry this pack, for one mile you had to do it. You had to do it. And often, what's interesting is that often what you would be carrying from that Roman soldier would be his weapons. Imagine that, you're a Jew and you're carrying the weapons of your avowed enemy. Jesus says that's the kind of service that is to mark the child of God. Even when it's not convenient, even when you don't want to, you go that one mile. And when you've gone one mile, go two miles. In other words, our lives are to be marked by a willing cheerfulness to serve and to go the extra mile. I think about a number of members of our congregation who serve in many ways that we don't even know about. People running around here to make sure blast happens on Wednesday night. People teaching all the way back in the other wing, Sunday school classes that many of us don't even maybe think about. People working in the nursery right now. People doing sound, video. People setting up the church, taking care of the grounds. The grounds. All these things happen, and we don't know about it. And these are people who are marked by a willingness to go the extra mile. And, and you think about this for just a moment, and you think about how all of this is so, so cross-cultural in our day, counter-cultural. Turn the other cheek give someone the clothes off my back, go the extra mile, those are not the kind of phrases that characterize our world today. Instead, it's you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. You you offend me, I'm gonna hold a grudge against you until the day you die. You wanna take something from me? I'm gonna get you back tenfold of what you did to me. You want me to selflessly serve other people? That's for weak people. I'm not doing that. Imagine the impact living the way Jesus calls us to live would have on an unbelieving world. Imagine the non-Christian world looking at us and seeing us loving, and serving, and caring about others, even those who wrong us, even those who persecute us. Imagine the world looking at that and saying, what's the deal with him? What's she got that I don't have? I need to know more. And at that point, the door is open to share what Jesus has done for you. I love what J.C. Ryle writes. He says, unfailing courtesy, kindness, tenderness, and consideration for others are some of the greatest ornaments to our Christian faith. Children, many of you in the very near future are gonna be decorating a Christmas tree at home. And, and, and you don't just you know stick up the tree and say we're good. You put lights on it, you put ornaments on it, you make that tree look beautiful. J.C. Ryle is saying this kind of behavior, courtesy, kindness, tenderness, consideration for others, those are like the ornaments on your Christmas tree. They make the Christian life look beautiful. And Ryle says the world can understand these things even if they cannot understand our doctrine. But he says there is no religion in rudeness, roughness, bluntness, and incivility. There's a fourth illustration Jesus uses in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All that to say that we should have generous hearts. We should give cheerfully, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully. If you have your Bible, for just a moment, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Notice verse 7, Deuteronomy 15, 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is here or near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. We should be known for our generosity. We should be known for our willingness to serve. And all of this, of course, is grounded in who God is. God is compassionate, isn't he? Therefore, we should be compassionate. God is gracious, not stingy. Therefore, we should be gracious. God has lavishly blessed you with all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1. Therefore, we are to be those who are generous toward others. Brothers and sisters, the Lord calls us in this passage to live in a way that is so contrary and so foreign to the thinking of our culture. But isn't it true that as we live this way, whether we are children or teenagers, young adults, middle-aged, older people, whatever, isn't it true that as we live this way, we are emulating the pattern of Jesus? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23 says when Jesus was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly Matthew 20 verse 28 the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what characterized the earthly ministry of Jesus. And unless we want to ignore Scripture or twist scripture, we know that this is how we are called to live as well. Now there is one major difference, of course, and that is that when Jesus came in humility and suffered and died, he did it for our salvation. You don't do all of this for your salvation. Jesus did it for your salvation. Jesus did all of this so that our sins of holding grudges and trying to get even and retaliating with other people, those things would be forgiven. And now, as God's redeemed children, this is how we're called to live. Not trying to get even, not seeking revenge, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, giving to the one in need, serving cheerfully the needs of other people. Again, in the words of J.C. Ryle, unfailing courtesy, kindness, tenderness, consideration for others. That should mark the Christian. Now, if you're like me, you will say, How can I possibly live this way? How can I I keep from wanting to get even with other people? How can I keep from from holding a grudge against someone? How, how How do I serve other people when I don't really want to? We need the Holy Spirit. We must live in the power of and under control of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says it is only by the Holy Spirit that we can put to death the deeds of the body. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we can put away our grudges. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we can put away our desire to get even. That's the Spirit's work in us. Galatians 5 tells us it's only by the Spirit that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but will instead exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Before you stands one who needs the Spirit of God. And you need the Spirit of God as well. It's only in His power only in his power that we can live the way Jesus calls us to here now here's the wonderful truth the wonderful truth is that you and I and all believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit he indwells each one of us And he will will give us the power and the strength to live lives of grace and love and compassion toward others. Christian, you have the spirit of God. We've been studying this on Wednesday night in our BLAST class. We have the spirit. He indwells every one of us. And so may we lean upon him and, and may we pray, oh Lord. Oh Lord, I read these verses and I can't do it. But you can do it in me. Oh Lord, empower me by your spirit that I may live this way. And thus love and serve my fellow believers and thus be a faithful witness to a world that is bent on getting even. May I live as a child of the King. Let's bow and pray. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.